If you have a story that you would like to hear featured on this podcast, please consider sending it my way. Just go to asthereavendreams.com and click the button to submit your story. And of course, thank you. This happened to me about a decade ago, when I was in college. I got a pretty good scholarship from K-State, and since my parents were born and raised right outside Manhattan, Kansas, they insisted that I take it, and we made an agreement that if I did, they would help pay for an apartment, and if I decided to stay when I graduated, then I could start paying it. We found a small one-bedroom apartment, which was perfect for me, and it was about 30 to 40 minutes from campus. The closer you got, the more expensive they were, so we got one a little further away, but nothing too bad. We drove up there with my parents following in their car and got my place set up. School was fine for the most part. I had some pretty chill teachers and a few that I could have done without, but overall, it was an average time. The school and classes weren't the problem, though. The problem that brought me here was Megan. Megan was in one of my general education classes. I think it was one of the creative writing ones. She was going into a nursing field, whereas I was going into business management, so it made sense that we didn't have a lot of classes together. In one project, we were in groups of three and we had to pick from a list of topics that were drawn at random and create a case for or against it. There wasn't anything too sensitive, I suppose, like politics or religious things like that. It was more tame. Like, is in-person or online schooling better or worse? Should books be banned from schools? Does living on or off campus make a difference? I suppose work and school safe topics. Megan and I were paired up with one other person. We actually took the topic about dorm rooms since we all had different living situations. I had my own place, Megan lived in the local dorms, and the other guy in our group still lived with his parents. We all started making lists as a group of things we liked about our humble abode and what we disliked about it. Megan said she didn't like the dorms because there were a lot of distractions. The other guy, I'll call Jim, said he liked living at home because he didn't have to pay for anything, but there was a lack of privacy and still plenty of distractions. Mine felt a little cheated, because I wasn't paying my rent but otherwise enjoyed the privacy and had no distractions. That was the option we went with, but we did have stipulations in it. Depending on whether you have to pay for rent, other bills, and possibly tuition, it would have been the preferable option. As many group projects go, you always have the one person that's hardly ever there. Until the day of the presentation, that is. After the first two meetings, Jim could never be there. We'd split up different things to research, and while Megan and I brainstormed, reviewed, and edited the work, he wasn't present. We didn't even have his work to add it into our own, 
in one of the meetups, he did show up, gave us some reason why he hadn't been able to do his part yet, and said that he would have it by the end of the week. If he did, that would give me the weekend to edit it, type it up, and add it in, which was definitely a time crunch, but was doable. He didn't stay long after that, and we already had our parts done. Instead of going home, Megan suggested that she and I should go have dinner instead. I would have just gone home and eaten my leftovers, so I agreed. Now, Megan was a very attractive girl. She had long, straight auburn hair with bangs that went to the side. That was always my weakness, too. She was also very straightforward, and if she wanted something, I would learn that she would go for it, which I also liked. I don't like being the person that had to choose and decide everything, so when she suggested dinner and where we should go, I was impressed. After the dinner was over, she made a joke asking if it was a date. So, I said it was, and that just kind of set things off. Jim did show up and gave us the bare bones of his work, but Megan agreed to help type it up if I edited it first, and I agreed. As she did so, she suggested that we just go to my place so we didn't have to worry about distractions. So much for that idea, though. The project was completed, and that following week we had to present. When we got there, Jim was nowhere to be found, so we just had to start without him. About halfway through, he finally came in, and Megan blew a gasket. She made sure to call him out on not participating, and said that we didn't need him up there. It took a few minutes for the instructor and I to calm her down, and agreed to discuss it afterwards so we could continue. Honestly, I felt bad for the guy. Not only did he have to get called out like that in front of everyone, he was already at risk of getting a low grade. I didn't know what his home life was like, so maybe it wasn't a situation of he didn't want to do the work, but maybe he had things holding him back as well. So we finished our project, and when we all had to turn in our cards with our opinions on the other projects, I added a note in mind to give Jim credit for his part. Even if he was just not willing to do the work, he got a partial free grade, I guess, and I feel better about it. After classes, Megan and I went back to my place after picking up dinner, and I noticed that she was still looking like she was angry, but wasn't saying much to me. And once we were finished, I asked her what was wrong, and that was when she exploded. She started going off about how she hated people like Jim who just tried to ride on the waves of other success and not do any of the work. I shared her frustration, but trying to be optimistic, said that at least he did do some of it, and that it was done, over, so we didn't have to worry about it anymore. She seemed satisfied with it, but you could still tell that she was upset. I figured I would just let her stew a bit, and then maybe she would be fine, so I put on a show that we liked to watch and sat there silently. The show was similar to Wipeout, where people had to go through these weird obstacles, but some were a bit more dangerous. So maybe more like Wipeout and Fear Factor combined, but I can't remember the name of it anymore. 
anyways, the reason I bring that up was because on one of the courses, the guy was walking in a dark room and there were these paddle things with fists attached to them, and he had to dodge them. He ended up missing and fell to the floor, and of course, being dramatized, he laid there for a few moments and was acting like he was passed out until someone came and started dragging him by his arms. Megan spoke up at this point and had said, I wish I could do that. So I chuckled and asked, what the show? I bet you could with your attention to detail and whatnot. And then she interrupted me and said, no, knock someone unconscious. I thought she was joking and I let out a chuckle again and she darted her eyes at me like she was serious about it. So I tried to ask her more like, surely she meant she wanted to be stronger or take self-defense classes. Nope. She said that she just wanted to be able to knock someone out when they pissed her off, saying it would make her feel so much better. It was a little bit awkward, but I kind of just let it go. However... Maybe she just needed a way to relieve her stress. So, I suggested that we got a punching bag. We went out and bought one that stood on the floor and kept it at my place, and I showed her how to throw a punch. She seemed to enjoy it, and would be going at it for the longest time. While I took a shower, made dinner, did my homework, just any time she could, really. She told me that she really enjoyed the aggression, and being able to do it without anyone telling her to stop. I left it alone, since it's not like she was hurting anything, right? And it was also a way for us to work out, so it was a win-win. But then, the aggression and hostility would get worse. It would start as her just punching me in the arm, or biting me. And it was fine for the most part, but her punches started to sting over time. She was fairly thin and had small hands, so her knuckles could really dig in. I never hit her back, but we played around, pretending like we would box, but sometimes she would follow through. She would apologize afterwards, but then would get really affectionate. Sometimes it would get heavier than that, but again, I didn't really think anything of it. Until she actually did something in the heat of the moment. She clocked me hard, in my chin, making me bite my tongue. I jumped out of bed at that point, confused and angry as to why she did it. Her reason was that she was just getting into the moment and thought that I would like it. It turned into a bit of an argument, saying that I was not into that kind of thing, and she instead wanted me to try to do the same thing to her. I said absolutely not and suggested that maybe the punching bag was not a good idea. That seemed to enrage her even more. I basically told her that maybe she needed to look into some kind of therapy as this was not healthy. I get like what you like, but what she was going for was way too extreme. Thankfully, she did settle down and apologized. She also agreed that she would work on her anger and aggression issues, so we moved forward but it never did seem to get better. At times, it even seemed worse. She would do things like smack or punch me and say that she was having fun, but again, I told her I didn't like that kind of thing. 
apparently that didn't mean much to her because the things she would do became more and more aggressive and alarming. I had a few friends over from class, along with her, for a small cookout, and I had bought those glass bottles of root beer. They're one of my favorite things to drink, and I don't know why, but it's still my go-to. Anyways, she had one, and she started acting like she was drunk. My friends just laughed it off, but it was a bit awkward for me. Then, while we were all on my back patio talking, she interrupted as she stared at the bottle and asked, I wonder if this could knock someone out. My friends kind of laughed, and then she looked up at them with that serious look again. One of my friends egged her on, basically by saying that it probably could, if you hit them in the right spot and hard enough. Then she started questioning him on where she should do it, if he could teach her, and she was excited. He was still joking and laughing about it, thankfully, but I was trying to drop hints to make her shut up. After a few, she went inside and we continued to chat out back, and then we heard a loud crash. I ran inside to see what it was, to find Megan standing in my kitchen with a broken bottle and her hair and face a bloody mess. She had smacked herself with the bottle. I asked her what the hell she was doing, and of course, she said she wanted to test it on herself first. I rushed her to the bathroom to help her clean up, and then ran out back and told my friends that I would be a few moments. As I got her cleaned up, I noticed that she had a pretty big gash on her head, and I wanted to take her to see if she needed stitches. So, cutting the party short, I drove her to the ER, where I waited in the room with her holding a bandage to her head until the doctor showed up. While we waited, I asked her what the hell she was thinking, and told her that she could have done much worse damage. And her response was, You're so cute when you're scared. And then she went on to explain how it was such a turn-on when I'm scared of her. And that was probably my final red flag. I stayed with her there, and I took her home, fearing how she might react if I ended it that night. The next day, I went to check on her and give her the bad news. I said that we needed to call it off for good, unless she changed, for both of our safety. She did not take it very well, and since I did this outside of her dorm, I think it added to her anger. No one was around, but there was a part of me saying not to do it behind closed doors, just in case. Then, she swung at me, pretty forcefully, but I dodged, so she just got me on my shoulder a bit. I know we weren't together for very long, but I did care for her, so I was hopeful that maybe this would put a fire under her. If she really wanted to be with me, she would make things right. Then we could try again. What I got instead was her not showing up to class for a few days. None of her friends had seen her in their classes either, and she wasn't responding to my texts or calls. About a week or so, I decided to swing by her place to see if she was okay. To my surprise, her roommate answered, saying that she moved out maybe the day or two prior. I was worried about her, but there wasn't much I could do. All I had was her phone number, 
I didn't even know her parents' names or anywhere that she could have gone, so I just left voicemails for her every day to every other day, hoping that she might get fed up and answer, but she never did. It was probably two or three weeks, I think, since this all took place, and I was sitting at home wanting to do something, so I decided to go for a late night walk. I grabbed my earbuds and headed out the door. There was a decent path that I could walk along the outside of the apartment complex, so I decided to stick there. I didn't want to be out too late anyways, and then to my surprise, while walking, I got a text from Megan asking what I was doing. I told her something like, oh, not much, or nothing, as I thought it wasn't important, and then asked how she was feeling slash doing. I didn't get a response for a few minutes, but when I finally did, it was just her saying, Are you sure you're not out walking? I started responding that I was when I realized the situation and started looking around. I couldn't immediately see anyone, so I tried calling her. She answered, but didn't say anything. I was starting to feel a bit panicked at this point, not knowing what her intentions were, so... I just asked on the phone if she could just come out so we could talk, trying to make the best of the situation, but I still got no response. Then, I saw two people come out and walk towards a car, so when I saw the lights turn on, I thought it was theirs and continued waiting on Megan. However, that car belonged to Megan, and... I finally figured that out when it started speeding towards me. She actually swerved to avoid the other two people, gunned it at me, and if I hadn't run to the side where the dumpsters were, she probably would have hit me. Instead, she slammed into the back of the complex that I was standing at. She got out seemingly unfazed by what just happened, laughing and saying that that was the hottest thing she's ever experienced. I was in shock. I didn't know what to do or how to react, so I just stood there as she laughed until I passed out. I later learned that the two people that had walked out and were almost hit called the cops, and when they showed up, she was still laughing but was lying next to me. She was arrested, and had to go through some kind of therapy or something. I was unharmed, other than my ego, I suppose. I never saw her again after that either. I finished the school year and decided to move back to Texas when I graduated. I think I just wanted to forget all about the situation and be as far as possible from it. So that's my ex story and my streak since then has not topped that one, thankfully. Also, I will say that I learned through mutuals that she was arrested again for some kind of assault as she knocked out her then-boyfriend, and she supposedly also tried to start a cult. So there's that. So, Megan, hopefully you and I don't ever meet up again, and I could tell you that in order to stay as far away from you as possible, I will not be visiting Kansas anytime soon. So, for context, 
I'm an 18-year-old female from the UK, but at the time this story takes place, I was 16. I had just gotten my first job as a cleaner. My boss was my uncle's close friend, and the money was great. My boss is a cool person, friendly, and takes care of his workers. So, in lockdown, I was a cleaner in a warehouse, doing simple jobs such as cleaning tables. I worked part-time as I was attending sixth form. Another man called Gerald would work the afternoon shift, and I would work the morning shift or vice versa. He usually liked to make long chit-chat conversations, which sometimes frustrated me, as he would speak to me when my shift started and he was ending so we would cross over. Anyways, he would speak to me about law, because I'm studying law. He told me that he studies law as well. He even gave me a university law textbook to look through. The first red flag was that Gerald told me that he was 25. However, he looked old, and he had a bald patch on his head. He clearly was not 25, but somewhere near 40. For a joke, I laughed and said, You don't look 25. As weeks went by, he would speak to me for half an hour during my shift, which I thought was weird because he was trying to relate to me about random topics. He came into work when my shift was ending, and he looked sad. Being the nice person I am, I asked what was wrong, and he told me that his girlfriend was in a coma due to cancer. I was sympathetic, however as weeks went on he would burden me with his home and relationship updates. I found this so weird because I was just 16, and he was a few decades older than me. He would tell white lies and red flags. For example, he said he had a Mustang, a really nice car. He showed me a picture, but it was clearly from Google. I was thinking, is he trying to show off? The biggest red flag was that he gave me his number. Now, I know you're reading this and probably thinking, why did you take it? But I was a kind, big-hearted teenager, and I wanted to help others. It got so weird that he would message me every day, sending me pictures of his girlfriend. Gerald messaged me saying it was his birthday, and said he was sad due to not being able to spend it with his girlfriend. He told me to look at his WhatsApp story. There were hundreds of girls wishing him a happy birthday, which was so weird because the photos were definitely from Google. The text also was always, Happy birthday, Gerald. Can't wait to party later. I'm thinking... Why is the text the same if different people are sending him a message for his birthday? He clearly got the photos from Google and pasted them onto his profile and then added the same text for each one. He could even try to fake it. Another separate time, he would love to argue with his other cleaner who was contracted to the warehouse company, whereas my boss's company was an independent company doing separate jobs in the warehouse. Anyway, I got along with the other cleaner, Mary. She would tell me about the weird things that Gerald was saying to her. Mary was 50 years old and very outspoken. 
Mary obviously had experience with more people than I did. She told me that she got a bad feeling about Gerald. Gerald would always come in to work early to sit at the tables, or to speak to me after my shift. After Mary and Gerald had been arguing, Gerald stood in the corner and stared so creepily at Mary, as if intimidating her on purpose. Just standing there, eyes open wide to scare her. This sent a shiver down my spine. I went over to Mary and asked if she was okay. She said she was fine. Gerald actually looked like he could murder Mary right there. This scared me. His eyes are something that I will never forget. I also remember when I had first started the job, and this warehouse worker came up to me and asked what was Gerald's name. I replied with two names, as Gerald went by a couple different names. I found this off. <laughs> Red flag number 100. The warehouse worker said he recognized him from somewhere. A few months later, the warehouseman walked up to me and showed me a screenshot from a police website. Gerald was wanted, as he was posing as a lawyer, which was another lie. He was never studying law like he told me. He would scam old people into giving him hundreds. Him and his equally sick brother devised a plan into conning vulnerable single elderly people. He was described in the post to be a man who everyone should stay away from. I was shocked. Immediately, I went home and told my mom and showed her the screenshot that I found online. She was horrified and said she was glad that I didn't speak to him anymore or see him at work. I also told my dad what happened. He looked angry. He said, what the hell? And my dad told me that he knew who this man was and that he was a creep and dangerous. His whole family were scammers and drug dealers and involved in shady business. My dad said if he ever saw this man, he would beat the crap out of him. That week he left work and I didn't see him again until a few months later. I asked my boss one day what happened to Gerald. He told me that he had caught Gerald drinking on the job. This surprised me, as usually I had a good radar and could tell if someone had been drinking. I was shocked. As previously mentioned, I did see Gerald again. My boss would ask me to do random shifts in hotels for cash in hand. My boss had picked up Gerald and drove to my house to pick me up, so we could all clean the hotel. I didn't know why my boss still had Gerald as a worker. I think he felt sorry for him, to be honest. I was so panicked as now Gerald knew where I lived. This unsettled me, because my family and I are very private people, and we only let close friends and family know where we live. I was shocked to see him in the car as I had not seen him for months. Had I known before getting in the car that Gerald would be there, I wouldn't have done the job. I got in the car and he said a simple, Hello. I was blunt with him and only spoke to my boss. I didn't care if I came across as mean, because I knew what a horrid, evil person Gerald was. And this experience has taught me a lot. It taught me to always trust my gut and that first impressions are nine times out of ten correct. I haven't seen Gerald since, and I hope it stays that way. Gerald, 
You took my kindness and used it as a way to get close to me for God knows what reason. You were a creep. I do hope the karma gets to you. You used old people and scammed them as a way to make money. You're... you're disgusting. And I hope that we never meet again. There was a story that you told a while back about a guy that found what looked like a neighborhood in the middle of nowhere. The houses were all abandoned and empty, and it reminded me of something that my now husband and I found back in the early 90s. It would have been the summer of 92, because it was our second year together. We had decided that we were going to take our vacation on a road trip, and we would go out and see some of the sites in parts of the country that are less incorporated. We decided that we would go driving around parts of Kansas, Colorado, maybe head up to Wyoming so we could check out Yellowstone. It was going to be a long road trip, and we were prepared for it. We'd put a good amount of money into getting our car up to specs and making sure it didn't have any issues. We had cash on hand for any hotels we wanted to stay at, and we had loaded up on a good amount of food and first aid stuff just in case. Things were going pretty well at first. We got through part of Kansas and saw a lot of the open area there. It wasn't until we got to western Kansas that we got to the parts of the state that had, well, nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean nothing. If you've never driven from the eastern part of Kansas to Colorado, then you have not seen literal nothingness. When you hit parts of Kansas that are in the mountain time zone, there's really nothing out there. Just past Colby or Garden City if you're more to the south like we were. We got to a spot that had a lot of woods and looked like we could stop and maybe park the car while we got out to hike around the woods. Once we were sure that we were good, we stopped the car, got out our hiking gear, and started out into said woods. It started out pretty normal. We followed some of the paths that were out there, that other people had walked through, and we made our own way through some parts of the woods. I will note that, as we got into the woods, I did start feeling a bit off. Almost like I was going to get sick. I told him what was going on, and he asked if I wanted to turn back, but I told him that I didn't. For some reason, I was feeling like we should press on. Like whatever we were going to see was something that we should see. I know that sounds really weird, but there was almost a voice in my head saying, press on, keep going, don't turn back, or whatever. So I told him that we should just keep going and I would be fine. After a while, we came to what was a bit of a clearing, which was a bit odd in and of itself, but it got even weirder when I realized that there was what looked like an old barn, but there was nothing around it to indicate that there was ever a farm here or anywhere nearby. The area was overgrown with full-grown trees, which told me that it had been like this for a while. There were no fences or other buildings, just this random barn. Obviously, this was quite the find. 
We were definitely hoping to find something like this for some urban exploration, but with it being so old, and we also wanted to be careful going into it. That said, we figured it wouldn't hurt if we just went in, looked around, and didn't touch anything. So long as we didn't disturb the structure itself, it wasn't likely to fall or anything like that, right? We walked in the front door, which did unfortunately require us to kind of pull it from its hinges, which went immediately against our statement of let's not damage the building, but we had to do it to get in. We entered, and immediately were hit with the stench of something being dead, which I guess wasn't surprising, since it was an old barn that hadn't been touched in a long time, but it was still absolutely disgusting, and it did not help me feel any better about it. Despite the smell being strong, we didn't see anything in the immediate vicinity that looked like a corpse at all. We pushed further in, and it was pretty clear that someone had been, at some time, living here. It was a barn, but someone had attempted to separate it into different rooms. What looked like a bedroom, a main room or living room, and then a room full of trash. The living room area was pretty much just old furniture and a bunch of kids' toys, which was seriously creepy though there was no other indication of there ever having been a kid there. While that was weird, it actually got legitimately creepy when we got into the area where the bed was. On the bed, square in the center, was a Ouija board. And it was an old one, because it looked like it was solid wood and scratched to hell. It was covered in dust and looked really well used, but... Beyond that, it was in better condition than most of the things in the barn. I'm not one to believe in the supernatural myself, and I really don't see the appeal with Ouija boards, but it was still pretty freaky. The creepiness was amplified when I looked around at the walls and on the floor. There were papers with words written all over them. A few of the pages had what looked like drawings of the Ouija board with the words written underneath them. On the walls, there were various words scratched into the wood. While I can't recall most of them, I do remember the words, I can't leave, scratched deep into the wood above the bed. I think that was enough for me. My husband wanted to keep exploring it as he was interested in it all, but... I was feeling worse and worse with every step that I took, and I told him that I needed to get out of there before I got sick. He agreed with me, and we went ahead and left. Thankfully, that was pretty much it. There wasn't anyone living there in the barn at the time that we were there. There wasn't anything more freaky than that. Just the words on the wall, the Ouija board, the toys, and the drawings. And while that may not sound like much... It was still creepy as hell to me, and was something I never wanted to go back to. I wish I could tell you the exact location, or the coordinates, but I honestly don't know the exact spot. If anyone is ever exploring the southwest emptiness of Kansas, they may find it. That is, if it's still there.
I'm 20 and female, and this happened a month ago, and it went on for about two weeks. So, I was a part-time Goodwill cashier, and was sent to put away clothes in the back. One thing that you have to understand about Goodwill is that they take in people who haven't had the best past and try to bring them in and give a better life. They're called variables. So, I'm in the back putting clothes away, and my manager brings out one of the variables to help me. Now, mind you, I wasn't really paying attention when he started putting clothes away. This dude sees me and says, Man, this job sucks, doesn't it? And I'm all like, Well, it does have its negatives. And at that point, I'm just agreeing to his small talk. We get finished, and then I take my break. When I'm finished, I then go out to the floor, and there he is sitting on one of the couches waiting for me to help him sweep the floor. By then, I was like, Okay, dude, but you leave in like ten minutes. He just said it will be what keeps him busy until then. So... While I was sweeping, he just kept following me and was asking me about what college I go to, just personal questions. Don't get me wrong, I like to talk to people and keeping the conversation, but this dude was asking me questions that he doesn't really need to know. I tried my best to steer the subject away from my personal life. It worked, but then he started asking me, how old do you think I am? was just really tired at that point and guessed in his late 20s. He then said, huh, don't make me blush, in a babyish tone. Now this creeped me out more than I already was. He answered that he was 36, and later said that we should hang out and go to Taco Bell together. In my head, I was thinking, dude, you were supposed to leave like 10 minutes ago. And he kept asking me, what time do you leave? And I said, when we close. Thinking back, I wasn't really worried about why he was asking me that, but it was still odd. So he finally leaves because I had to tell him that I needed to catch my last break. Three days later, he comes back to the store, but he isn't a variable. He's in his regular clothes instead of his blue vest, so he was just a customer. Once again... I'm putting clothes away, and he sees me and says, You look tired, hon. When you take your break, let's head to Taco Bell together. I said I couldn't in the best way possible, but after he just kept following me around the store and making small talk. I then lose him and do my thinking throughout the day. While that was happening, I notice him leaving the store and come back three times. He then sits on the couch and keeps looking at me. By then, I just flat out ignore him and go to lunch. When I come back, he's gone and I steer my attention to other things. Finally, when the store was about to close, one of the assistant managers brings me back to the office and tells me to be careful around the variable who keeps following me. She kept saying that he tried to get with one of the other female workers in the back, and she was underage. Apparently, he worked at another Goodwill, where he had kept doing the same thing. The most important thing that she noticed was that he has been in the men's restroom for about two hours doing God knows what. 
I knew he did weed, but it's stupid to do that at a goodwill. She basically kicked him out, and he finally went to his car. The day before that, he never came to the store and was only in his car until the store closed. She had then noticed that the car belonged to him. The final nail in the coffin was when I had left to walk to my car and noticed a car with its headlights down about ten feet away from my car. I was always weirded out when cars would park at the Goodwill parking lot at night, but this car looked suspicious. I honestly wanted to go home, and was just really too tired, but what happened next definitely woke me the hell up. While I was unlocking my door, I heard a car door open and I hear a familiar voice yell, Hey, do you want to hang out? I got out of my tired stupor and turned to this voice, and sure as hell it was the dude that kept following me from the other day. I was really confused and shook in my mind. I was thinking of an excuse because I didn't want to hang out with this dude. He was about to walk over to my car, but thankfully my manager walked out of the store to lock up the shop. He then noticed her, and quickly got in his car and sped off. My heart was racing a mile a minute. I ran up to her and told her that this pedo was in his car waiting for me again, and that this was the last straw. We talked about what had happened, and went the same way home to make sure that this dude didn't follow me. I got home and told my mom what had happened. When I got this job, my mom said that it wasn't worth it. But... This really gave her a reason to tell me to quit. I was going to regardless. The next morning, I gave my manager my two weeks. She'd completely understood. And she then told me that she had reported him to the police. I have a story that may not be scary or creepy but it's one that should be heard and used as a cautionary tale to anyone out there that may be in a similar position, or could be going down the wrong path. This story honestly could have happened anywhere, but at the time I lived in the Kansas City area, on the Kansas side. At the time, I was in my mid-twenties and was with a man that was not mentally stable, and was probably not in the best place myself, honestly. I had dropped out of college to be with this guy because he had given me the ultimatum. We'd got an apartment together and I felt like I had to do what he wanted. Because of this, I was depressed and hitting a point where I didn't know what to do with my life. And this isn't me trying to net any pity from anyone. This is just me telling you all that I was on a downward trajectory and that things were rough. At the time of this whole event... I was working at a big box store that you had to have a membership to get into. Let's call it Steve's Club. <laughs> at the time, Steve's Club was known for paying decent wages in the area, and not requiring much in ways of education or training. They preferred that you have a high school diploma, but that was it. So, a lot of people that were my age and down on their luck would try to get into the job. My then-boyfriend worked there as an overnight stock associate, and I worked there as a front-end, basically ringing people up and then checking receipts if I was needed at the door. 
If anyone has ever worked retail, especially at one of these kinds of stores, you'll know that it's very stressful and high demand. It may just be a retail job, sure, but you have to be fast, and you have to take the brunt of the angry customers all day. Because of the levels of stress, it is nice when you befriend someone that is a coworker and can relate to them on a personal level. Sure, like I said, my boyfriend did work there, but he was overnight and I was dazed, so we never saw each other at work. That said, I was beyond excited when they hired a new daytime manager, and it happened to be an old guy friend that I knew from high school, and hadn't spoken to for a long time. For the sake of the story, I'm going to call him Jeff. Having him as my direct report was actually kind of neat, because like I said, he and I used to be good friends. We fell out a few years prior, and here he was back in my life. Not only did I have a friend that was a co-worker and could talk to, I had a friend that was my direct manager. Honestly, I thought this was going to be nice, to have someone I liked in a position above me, and I thought that I could potentially confide in him with any grievances I had about the job, and I had a friend that I could spend time with, and we did. After he got started and got comfortable with the position, we started talking a lot more during our shifts, and then started getting lunch together, and we grew a lot closer. Now, like I said earlier, this is a job with a lot of stress, and the closer we got, I actually learned about how Jeff was coping with said stress, and the easiest way to put it is that he was abusing substances. Well, unfortunately, the more I spent time with him, the more open he was about what he was doing, and that's where things started to really hit a low. I'm not going to really get into all of it. I don't want to spill all the details and tell everyone exactly what we were doing, but I ended up falling into the same spiral that he was falling into. I started joining him after work and doing the various things that he was doing. I was going to lunch with him and abusing things, and then going back to work and trying to keep my composure while the various chemicals messed with my brain and made me feel like I was just floating through my shift. I hated it. I know that sounds counterproductive, but I genuinely hated what I was doing. I was destroying myself just to feel a bit less stressed. What was worse, I just could not seem to pull myself away from the situation. I kept going to lunch with Jeff, I kept spending time with him after work, and before I went home, and I kept on using. Then there was one day after our shifts were over, where things changed, and I realized we were at rock bottom. Jeff asked if I would join him outside after I clocked off, and I of course agreed. We went out to his car, and I was expecting him to hand me something else that we had done before, but then he pulled out a small piece of rubber hose that he had in his pocket. At first, I didn't get what he was doing. Then he told me to help him tie off his arm, and then it hit me. Of course, I had no idea what to do in this situation, so I just did what he asked. I helped him tie it off, 
He then pulled a small case that looked like it would be for insulin or something from his center console. And, well, you can guess the rest. After he injected it, I watched as his face went from his normal smiling self to basically looking dead. His eyes rolled back, he stopped talking, and his mouth just kind of fell open. That was the moment that it clicked how far down we had ended up. It almost felt like I was watching a movie. Like what was happening in front of me was fake and I was just part of an audience to it. I just sat there and stared at him, thinking that he didn't just shoot up, that he was joking or something, and he would jump up at any second and say gotcha. But he didn't. He kind of just slumped over and again looked dead. I had no idea what the hell I was supposed to do here. If I was supposed to follow suit and do what he had just done, if I was just there to make sure that he didn't die, why did he put me in this situation? All I could think to do was just start crying, and then call an ambulance. I ran back into the store and I told someone up front that I needed them to dial 911 immediately, and I told them that Jeff was passed out in his car and that they needed to get an ambulance to the store. And then I ran back out to wait for the medics. Every second that ticked by, as I watched him just not moving, it was hitting me harder and harder that I was partially responsible for this. I was giving him affirmations for his addiction. Sure, he had dragged me into this world, but I was sticking around for it. I was joining him. I was adding a bit of positivity to the horrible things that he was doing. This event is actually what got me sober and away from that world. After this happened, I looked into support groups. I got away from drug use and I cleaned up my life, which also included leaving my then-boyfriend. And moving back in with my parents for a bit. Jeff did survive, he didn't overdose or anything. He ended up being put into treatment as well, and he could have faced charges for what they found in his car, but since he went in to get clean, he was able to avoid the consequences. I don't talk to him anymore, but he's still a friend on Facebook, <laughs> so I know that he's doing better. I'm doing better as well. Happily married, working in an office environment. We still live in Kansas, and we're actually expecting our second child, and our first one is already four. So, yeah... While this story may not have been creepy to most people, I hope it does something for someone. I hope that I can help anyone out there in a similar situation to what I was. Help them get out of said situation and see that they deserve better than what they're going through. Don't ruin your life for that temporary high. Don't destroy what you could have for what equates to a couple of minutes of relief. I, 21 female, work at a library. My job consists of fixing broken technology and hanging out in the teen area to make sure nobody dies. Tonight, two teenaged boys walk in about 15 minutes removed from each other. One of them was fine, logged into a video game and started playing. The other one was considerably less fine, 
I knew something was a bit strange almost immediately. He smelled like baloney and body odor, and seemed to stare at me wherever I went with this unreadable expression. But hey, sometimes teenagers are weird and sometimes they smell bad, so I brushed it off. While I was putting books back on the shelves, he followed me around. He asked me if my personality matched my combat boots. I didn't really know how to respond, so I said yes. He then asked me if I liked to try new things, in a way that was pretty suggestive now that I think about it. I completely missed his cue, though. I blame my asexuality. Regardless, I told him that I liked to try new things, assuming he was talking about sports or food or something. He then asked if I wore leather. I said no, once again having no idea what he was actually talking about. The shelving continued, and he told me that he could never work my job. I asked why not. He gestured to the other boys in the library, celebrating that he'd done well in a match of Fortnite. He then told me, in an almost bragging way, that he was too much of an asshole to ever tolerate the kids the way that I can. Now, when someone tells me they are an asshole, I tend to take their word for it, so he wasn't exactly getting brownie points with that particular sentiment. I shrugged and told him I liked the jobs and that kids were actually a bonus to me. Eventually, I sat back down at the desk and he pulled a chair up so closely that I could feel his breath on my back. He asked me why I wore a mask. I couldn't at this point report him to security on the computer because he was right behind me, and I didn't want to risk making him angry. I told him it was because I was recovering from a cold. He seemed to accept this answer for a while, until he saw me remove my mask briefly to drink from my water bottle. Once I put my mask back on, he poked me in the arm, telling me to leave the mask off. I told me I was too pretty to wear something like that. At that point, I was basically done. I emailed my coworker saying I was ready for my break, intending to hopefully wait him out. But my coworker was trying to fix something somewhere else in the library, and once again, reporting him to security was off the table. So... I would have to endure it a little longer. He asked me about where I lived, what social media I used, could he have my social media, where my hometown was, etc. I managed to dodge questions as he leaned towards me, his breath smelling like a year-old pound of bacon, and his face inches from the back of my head. Eventually, he got up to leave and walked out of the room. I breathed a sigh of relief and got back to whatever I was doing before. But then, he came back in and kept talking. My coworker arrived just as I was explaining to him once again that it was unprofessional to give him my social media usernames, and I promptly got up and went to the restroom, bidding the strange boy a good night, hoping he would get the hint and leave. Nope, he was still there when I returned. My coworker thanked me for returning to save him from the patron. Apparently, while the boy wasn't sexually harassing the coworker, he was inexplicably intense. He attempted to drum up more conversation after that, but I think after a while he got bored and left. 
I reported him to security and tried to go back to being productive, but I just wanted to call my mom and crawl back into bed at that point. So, not much else got done. I'm not sure what would have happened in this situation. It happened more than ten years ago, but I still wonder sometimes. When I was a teenager, my favorite thing to do was listen to music. It brought me into another world, away from the chaos of my toxic family and school life. I listened to music almost all of my free time. One thing that really enhanced my music was motion. Walking, running, or more passive forms of motion like swinging on the swings. I hadn't yet discovered driving, so swinging was my favorite way to listen to music. At age 16, nearly every night between 8pm to about 1am, I would go out to the swing set behind a nearby church and swing for hours with my headphones on. The darkness also enhanced my music because there was less visual stimulus to distract me. And it was very dark. The street was well lit, but the church building blocked out all that light, and the swings were set pretty far back from the road, behind the back parking lot. There was nothing but a dark field, the playground and swings, and an empty parking lot back there. I kept my head on a swivel. I'd watched enough serial killer documentaries to have a healthy amount of paranoia. So, every time I swung forward my eyes would scan 180 degrees to the right, and every time I'd swung back, I'd scan 180 degrees to the left. Because of my vigilance, I felt quite safe, confident that I could spot anyone before they came close to me. This kept up for at least two years with no problem, but I never let my guard down. One night, I was swinging away and noticed something unusual. At head height, poking around the side of the church, was a shape that I hadn't noticed before, like the head of a person who wanted to hide. At first, I couldn't quite tell, but I locked focus on it until it disappeared back around the corner and out of sight. Then it poked back out again. Then it disappeared. It did this several more times before I became absolutely sure Someone was watching me who did not want to be seen. At best, they wanted to steal my iPod and my headphones. But it could have been something far worse. I didn't want to stick around to find out. I very casually got up off the swing and started walking back to the street, around the opposite side of the church to where he was standing. And then, he immediately began walking straight towards me. I picked up my pace into a speed walk, but I didn't break into a run. He did the same. After speed walking for maybe a minute with him close behind, I finally made it to the street. He also reached the street at the same time, about 20 feet away to my right. He then took off running down the sidewalk in the opposite direction. I was so freaked out at the close call, wondering what could have happened. My heart was pounding and I went home and told my best internet friend about it. He laughed and asked why I was so scared. 
I thought maybe other people wouldn't understand, and it was a you-had-to-be-there kind of thing. So I never told anyone after that. I didn't go back to that swing set for at least two months, and when I did, it was much less frequent, and at more random times. I eventually stopped going altogether when my family moved away. And this is one of the creepier things that has happened to me. Just a little warning, this is my first Reddit post. This story is probably a little shorter than most, and some might not find it creepy, but to this day, I still have a deep mistrust of people in full-body costumes, think mascots, because of this encounter. This happened when I was around 10 or 11 years old, putting it somewhere between 2007 and 2008. I have a pretty terrible memory when it comes to my childhood, but I'm pretty sure it happened before I was in middle school. For a bit of context, the street that I grew up on was one of those streets with a bunch of kids who always hung out after school. My family knew almost everyone on our street, save for a couple of houses. Even if a family didn't have kids our age, most people would at least come out for holidays like the 4th of July. So, as we grew up, we had a general idea of who our neighbors were. My younger brother, D, who's three years younger than me, and I were especially close with the family about five houses down and across the street. Their son, T, was a year younger than me and his little sister, A, was only a year or two younger than my brother. So we hung out a lot. On this particular day, Dee and I asked our parents if we could go play with T and A at their house, and, considering it was still early in the evening, they agreed. Due to the close distance, the walk to their house only ever took a minute or so. As Dee and I started on our way, I couldn't help but notice a strange figure in the distance, dressed in all black from head to toe. I thought it was weird, of course, but I couldn't tell which way they were facing, and T's house was close, so I didn't give them too much thought. As we got closer, however, I realized the figure was walking towards us. As we got closer to each other, I realized they weren't dressed in all black. They were wearing a gorilla suit. It was super strange, and even to this day, I have no logical explanation for this. I was definitely creeped out, and I wish I could say that that was where my creepy encounter ended, but unfortunately that's not the case. Dee and I were only a house away from our friend's house at this point, but the closer we got to their house, the closer we got to this gorilla person. Right as we started to turn to get onto the sidewalk, the person started almost galloping toward us, making loud gorilla noises. Mind you, this person hadn't said a word this entire time, and now they were rushing towards us making these strange noises, so we, of course, panicked. My brother and I started sprinting towards T's house, my heart pounding hard in my chest as I thought about what might happen if this gorilla person got to us first. We started pounding on the door and T's mom answered, looking concerned and confused. 
through the tears that I was fighting so hard to hold back, I somehow managed to say something about the creep who had started rushing at us, and she quickly ushered us inside. We told her about what happened, and she checked outside, but the person was long gone at that point. After that, we never saw that person or costume again. What gets me most about this, and what still sends shivers up my spine, is that we never found out who this person was. They likely were just some adult who thought it would be hilarious to scare the crap out of a couple of kids, but the fact that we'll never know for sure still creeps me out. Considering we knew almost everyone on our street, I thought maybe at some point someone would joke about the time they scared me and my brother, and we would all have a good laugh about it. But that day never came. At this point, I don't think we'll ever know who it was or why they were wearing a gorilla suit in the first place. Stay safe out there, y'all. And if you're the person who chased two kids in a gorilla suit costume 14 to 15 years ago, thanks for the lifelong trauma. Back in the 90s, my friend Brent and I would go exploring old buildings that were abandoned or condemned for fun. We didn't have cell phones at the time, and the most we had was his car, so trespassing and sneaking out alcohol was the most excitement we could really have. We lived in Topeka, Kansas at the time, and if you're from there, you know there's a small area to have fun in, and then another that's just boring. Or maybe that was just us, since we lived on the boring side. Either way, this was our idea of fun. With empty houses or buildings to explore, we had plenty of new places to choose from. One place in particular that we had been wanting to check out was the Topeka State Hospital. It had been closed for a while, and with all the rumors of previous patients haunting the place, we desperately wanted to check it out. We also had never explored in a place so big, so we had to try to figure out the best way to get in and when to do it. We drove by it a couple of times to see if there was any type of security around it, and to see if there was anything immediate that would hinder us. When we were convinced it was going to be an easy in, all we had to do was find the time to do it. So, to not have our parents ask questions about what we were doing, we told them we would be staying at each other's house, and then would have the night without any suspicion. Friday night, Brent said he was leaving to come over to my place, and I told my parents he was coming to pick me up, and we were off. We each had a backpack with what our parents thought were our clothes, toothbrush, and deodorant, when in reality it had our flashlights, a few supplies that we brought, like a pocket knife just in case, and a few snacks to eat while we waited. We learned, over time, the fewer things we brought, the better, especially if we needed to get out quickly and ditch our bags. We parked several feet up from the building to try to make it not look so suspicious, and we sat in the car and ate. We thought we would kind of scope out the place, to see if anyone came by and to get any last-minute jitters out of us. After about half an hour, 
We decided it was time to go then, before we chickened out. We approached the building, and not to our surprise, the front door was completely locked and boarded up. So we walked around the side to see if there were any other ways in, when Brent noticed a window that had been broken out and half-assedly boarded up with a no-trespassing sign attached to it. The boards weren't the best, so it was pretty easy to pry off with just our hands and the little hammer that we had with us. Brent went in first and helped me in, and that was the start of a very long night. Once in, we turned on our flashlights, put on our backpacks, and started looking around. Immediately, the smell hit me. It was very musty, like what a damp old room would smell like. The paint or wallpaper was eerily peeling off the walls, but the honest part for me was how still the air was. I motioned to Brent to stop for a second just to try to listen, and the only thing you could hear was our slight breathing. You couldn't even hear the sounds of the bugs outside. It was just one of those moments that was hard to explain. However, we didn't want to waste a lot of time and we started moving on. We looked through the rooms where the doors were already open and saw much of what you would expect. Bare shelves, broken bed frames and chairs. The restroom stalls were all broken and some of the toilets were just busted. There was a lot of graffiti everywhere too, so we obviously weren't the only ones that had been here. As we looked around and just took in what all we were seeing, we heard what sounded like someone walking slowly above us. A little scared, but also not quite ready to leave yet, we decided to go up to the second floor to check it out. The stairs were not something that I would want to walk on more than once, but the railing seemed sturdy enough. We made our way up there to see more of the same. Creepy, dark hallways, spray-painted doors and walls, and those yellow file folders scattered all over the ground. While here, we again heard more footsteps, but nothing else with it. We were just about to head up to the third floor when Brent turned around to look down the hall again that we were just at. Nothing there again. We got this far without anyone showing up, so we wanted to get all the way to the top. We climbed the stairs to the third floor, where we were then greeted by a door slamming. I think Brent was a little fed up at this point. With us both not really being phased by ghost stories, or at least not willing to admit it, he shouted, We're not here to harm anyone or anything. After wincing at hearing him unexpectedly calling out, we waited in silence, but heard nothing. Not even the footsteps. We both let out a quiet laugh and continued on. Looking around the room, I saw some really old clothes that looked like they had been disintegrating over time, just sitting in the corner of a room. In this same room, I started smelling sulfur. It was almost like there were fireworks going off right in front of me. I walked out of the room quickly and across to where Brent was, who claimed he didn't smell anything at first. I brought him over to the other room where he could then smell it. As we started leaving the room, though, 
the door to the room that he was in slowly started to shut. As I mentioned earlier, there was no airflow in the place. It was dead still. So there was no way that a draft had blown the door shut. We stared at the door for several minutes when we started hearing footsteps again. But they seemed to be quicker than before and getting louder. We walked over by the stairs slowly and waited. That's when I felt a really cold breeze brush my back, and I very clearly heard the word, OUT, whispered into my ear. I was done. I took off down the stairs, Brent following right behind me, and when I got to the bottom, I leapt out the window that we came through, and waited as Brent crouched down to do the same. As he was doing this, it sounded like someone was running towards us, I yelled at Brent to hurry up when he nearly dived out the window to get out. We quickly took off to his car, not caring if anyone saw us at that point, and then we just sat there, staring at this place for several more minutes to calm down. After a while, we both asked the other if we had heard the voice, and that's why we both started running. So at least I knew that I wasn't the only one. As mentioned... I didn't really believe in the paranormal, but after that experience, and reading more about what took place there, I can definitely believe former patients are sadly trapped in there. Brent and I still remember this, but we really haven't told a single person about it. We've kept this as a personal experience that we will never forget. This isn't the scariest story on this sub, but I consider myself a pretty alert and vigilant guy who manages to avoid a lot of creepy encounters. These things don't happen to me often, so when they do, they stand out. It was a few months ago. I had just gone thrift shopping around 8.30pm at Value Village. I didn't find anything good, but... I didn't want to waste the trip, so before heading home, I decided to take my dog out of the car for a quick walk around the block. I smoked some, and unexpectedly got really into the walk. The night air was cool and refreshing, the rain felt nice on my face, and the ground beneath my feet was unusually satisfying to walk on. It was pretty blissful, so... I really took my time circling back to my car. Once I got back, the Value Village was closed and my car was the only one left in the parking lot. All the lights in the lot were off. I walked through the darkness to my car with very little situational awareness and unlocked it with the fob. I didn't even notice the guy at the bus stop before he started talking to me. The bus stop was at the street, right in front of the parking lot, about 30 feet from my car. He was behind the bus stop, not in front of it, where someone would wait for the bus. There was nobody else around. He asked, Can I have a cigarette? I told him I don't smoke. He began to come toward me, but stopped, and then followed up with, Do you have any money? To which I said, No, sorry. I instantly got a bad feeling about him. Something was off. 
I've worked with homeless people for years, and I get asked for cigarettes and money often, but there was something different about this. Maybe because the way he phrased the question was a little different than how most people ask. When I said no, he stared at me for a few seconds and then turned, quickly walked away, around a wall and out of sight. At this point, I knew I had to keep an eye on that corner. I just knew he was going to come back. I only took my eyes off of it to open the rear door and put my dog in the back seat. My dog doesn't always get in the car right away and takes some convincing. I tried to rush it as much as possible, yanking his leash upward, until he jumped in maybe five seconds later. I buckled him in and I shut the door. I whipped my head back around towards the corner and the guy wasn't there. He was behind me. He was quietly approaching, about ten feet away with his hands in his jacket. Not in the pockets or the bottom of his jacket, but through the top of the slightly opened zipper. I made eye contact with him, and he just stopped moving. He just looked in another direction and froze. I used this time to get into my vehicle and lock the door. It felt like it took ages because I was still slightly stoned and my reflexes were slow. If he hadn't stopped walking, he probably would have been able to reach me before I got in. I just drove off, and mostly forgot about it until now. There was nothing else in that parking lot. No reason for him to be there. It was super weird, and ever since then I've remembered to be more mindful of my surroundings. Back when I was 19, I had moved in with some folk I knew as the family dynamic back at home It was tense, to say the least. I became acquaintances with a guy named Richard, four years older than me through a family friend called Gemma, who lived nearby. It was quite obvious from the get-go that he liked me, although I always made it clear that I only saw him as a friend. He would call or message me to check how I was, sometimes trying to force a more flirty conversation, but I was adamant about how I felt about him, much to his disappointment. On a few occasions, he even brought me top-up credit for my phone when I had ran out without my knowledge or consent. I told him that it made me uncomfortable, and I didn't think he should be buying me it, but he insisted that because he had paid for it, I might as well use it or it would be wasted. The last time he did, I threw the receipt with a top-up code printed on it in the bin, which might have been a spiteful move on my part, but I was frustrated with him for not taking my feelings about it into consideration. Safe to say, he was pissed off with me, but I thought, okay, he might start getting the message now, and to be honest, he went quiet, so I thought he did. One evening, a few weeks later, I was in the study on MSM chatting to a couple of friends. The house was a large bungalow. The computer was situated in front of a small window, which looked out onto a fence which ran around the perimeter of the property. Beyond that, I could see the tops of a row of houses, one of which my friend Gemma lived in. A notification pops up, and I see it's Richard. He asks me how I am, and... 
I try and make non-awkward conversations with him. Just simple, polite small talk. I decided to go and make myself a cup of tea and simply typed, be right back. When I'm done, I walk back to the study and as I'm stepping through the doorway, I slightly trip on a raised lip of laminate floor, spilling some of my tea on my hand. I stop to switch hands and wipe my wet hand on my t-shirt when I hear the ding of an MSM notification coming from my computer. I was still stood a few feet away from it, so I couldn't see what it said. As I walked up to the desk to put my cuppa down, I see the chat box with Richard is open, and upon seeing what he wrote, I was immediately freaked out. Don't spill your tea, he had written. I quickly scanned outside and couldn't see anyone, and very quickly shut the blind. I asked him how he knew, and he just wrote, LOL, and wouldn't tell me when I pressed him for an answer. The only reasonable explanation I could think of was that he had been at my friend Gemma's house and must have been watching me through her upstairs bedroom window. Although, given the line of sight and the height of the fence, that would have been pretty difficult. I did ask her a few days later and she told me that he hadn't been there and was also pretty weirded out by the whole thing. Safe to say, I pretty quickly ceased all contact with him after that and luckily he left me alone. Although, I do still have to wonder how he was able to watch me. This story goes way back to 1998, when I was 16 years old. I was with my two other friends, who I'll just call Ben and Jake for privacy reasons. It was a late summer evening on a Saturday, and I was sitting in my room listening to some 80s rock as teenagers back then would do. I got bored after some time and went outside to meet Ben and Jake. We were chilling in Ben's garage for a while, and drinking beer and smoking some, and we got bored pretty quickly and went out to do some teenage stuff. I remember we were walking down this narrow path by the woods and down towards a lake. Back in the late 90s, there was a popular hangout spot for teenagers there, so we were hoping for seeing some other kids there. When we arrived, there was no one there except the sounds of crickets out in the tall grass. We sat for a while on a bench and just talked for about 15 minutes when Jake wanted to go to an old fishing hut by the lake. We all agreed on going inside and exploring it. We entered the hut While Jake and Ben were walking around and breaking stuff, I couldn't shake the feeling of being watched. We went upstairs where there was an old wooden boat lying there, with a fishing net over it. We were kind of checking it out, when all of a sudden we heard the wooden door to the hut creak open. We could hear heavy footsteps entering down below, followed by heavy breathing. We all stopped dead in our tracks and almost held our breath. There was around a five-second break that felt like an eternity when suddenly a man spoke in a drunken voice. I know you're here. (laughs) Come out, come out, wherever you are, you little brats. The heavy footsteps started to walk towards the stairs as the old floor creaked underneath. Jake went inside the wooden boat and the rest of us followed. We put the fishing net over our heads and didn't move. 
the man arrived upstairs and we could hear him stumbling around. I can hear you. (laughs) We were sitting dead still, but I could feel the fear in all of us. The man was walking around and moving stuff. I was thinking of a plan to escape without being caught, but we literally were like sitting ducks. Suddenly, we could feel the fishing net being ripped off. Here you are. Jake reacted the fastest and pushed him away so the man fell onto his back. We all ran like hell out of there and threw the tall grass into the woods. We could hear the man give a chase, but he gave up, probably due to his drunken state. We all went back to Ben's garage and fell onto the couch out of exhaustion. Jake then told us that the man dropped a knife when he fell to the floor, and we all just sat in shock for the rest of the night. To this day, I can't help myself but wonder what would have happened if Jake hadn't pushed the man. So, I work at a pet boarding and daycare facility in mid-Florida. We have a lot of homeless encounters, but this one is by far the scariest. We open at 8 every day of the week. However, all staff must come in at 7 to make sure all guests are walked and fed before we open. On this particular morning, around 7.10, I was on my second dog in our back walking yards, and I'd seen some commotion around the front bushes that separate our front walking yard for the smaller dogs and is directly in front of the yard I was in. I figured someone just had an early drop-off. However, a few moments later... I then hear something like pottery shattering. This, of course, piqued my interest, and I walked through the front walking yard and inside to our front boarding area to ask the receptionist if she had heard all the commotion while she was cleaning the little dog's area. She said she hadn't, but that a homeless man had come in and asked to use the bathroom, and she let him in. He did creep her out some as he was mumbling and not looking her in the face as he spoke, but she just wanted to be kind to the man and he gave her no issues. I then go into the front reception area to check outside for the possible source of the noise, and I see the man. He's rummaging through his backpack while his bike is leaned up against our building. He then got up and started pacing back and forth on the sidewalk, and his presence made me quite uncomfortable. So, while he wasn't looking, I went and locked the front door. After this was done, I stepped back to watch him from the room next to our reception area, and I see that he's screaming and flailing his arms as if he's arguing with someone. This seems like a cause for alarm, so I run and grab the second kennel attendant, and we call the police as this man is destroying our Memorial Day decorations outside and still yelling. Once he notices my coworker on the phone, he says, You don't need to call the police. Can I just come in and have some water? He then tries to open the door and realizes it's locked. He immediately freaks out, screaming at us and threatening us, saying, Call the effing police. Let me in this freaking building. While banging on the door. He then hears sirens from an unrelated situation and decides to ride off. After a good amount of time... I go to inspect what he was breaking, 
and it turns out that he had taken all of our flags out of the ground and broke them and then threw them on the sidewalk, as well as taking our wreaths down and throwing them, one landing behind the dumpster, 20 feet away. He'd also smashed a small porcelain container that he had brought with him as well, throwing a keycard to a hotel, some orange duct tape, black rope, and a small travel-sized bottle of shampoo with the orange duct tape over the top of it. The police never showed, because he had rode away while we were on the phone with them, but it definitely was the scariest thing that I've experienced while working there. That was today's episode of the As the Raven Dreams podcast. Thank you so very much for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed these scary stories. If you want to support the channel further, please do consider checking out my YouTube channel. Just search As the Raven Dreams on YouTube and subscribing. You can also join the channel or go to my Patreon for early access to all of my content. All of it's appreciated and never expected. But if it happens, thank you. All that said, friends... I will see you on the next episode of the As the Raven Dreams podcast. But of course, until then, sleep well. <laughs>